Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the second episode of PP Encounters podcast. I'm Elsa. And I'm Cecilia. This week's episode is inspired by the event we had with Teju Adisa Farrar. She is an amazing speaker, geographer, writer and consultant based in California. And she talked about her personal story. She talked about how her climate and environmental justice work is allowing her to find sustainable and alternative solutions to this crisis. So we want to talk about and just follow up her, her event with our own thoughts. But what is environmental activism? So environmental activism is kind of an umbrella term. It encompasses a lot of different things. So in our research, we came across the definition of it, which... There's a lot of definitions, but we thought that this one was pretty fitting. Um, Environmental activism spans over many political ideals, fields, and subjects. Um, But all these different forms of environmental activism all address the the common concern of the climate crisis that we're currently facing. It's really interesting to see the different ways that environmental activism um, is portrayed in society, how different people embody environmental activism, how different people see the need to um, be environmentally active. So we thought today for our podcast, we would talk a little bit about this inspired by the presentation that Teju gave. So in the first half of the podcast, we're going to be talking a little bit about what inspired us, what shocked us and what we took away from Teju's talk. I know that Sissy and I were really uh, moved by everything that she spoke about. What did you think was most interesting for you, Cecilia? I think the facts that she presented really impacted me and triggered like this emotional response. She talked about environmental racism. She outlined how in the US, black people are 75% more likely to live near oil refineries and how 68% of black people live within 30 miles of a coal plant. Um, yeah, and I think these facts can really, yeah, as I said, trigger an emotional response. And it really did in me, it really just emphasizes how environmental racism operates across societies which we will talk about later i also found it interesting um in her analysis of environmental justice and environmental racism the idea of decommodification um it's basically the idea that we should decommodify nature and space because since the industrial revolution and since the anthropocene um humans have basically started commodifying the na- nature and space by reducing them to commodities which can be bought and sold and you know just using nature as a resource for our, for our own functions instead of realizing that nature is its own function in itself i had never thought of kind of a solution to the climate crisis in the sense of decommodifying nature or seeing nature as more of an intrinsic value than what we usually use it as an instrumental one. I also think it's important to define what climate justice is because that's going to be one of the main topics of this podcast. Climate justice is basically the intersection and this inextricable relationship between social justice and the environment. This means health justice, housing justice, racial justice, indigenous justice, um, so I think it's really important yeah, that everyone understands what we mean by climate justice. 
Then I was also really shocked by how she explained how post-colonial black populations are the ones that are suffering from the burden of climate change. We've stripped them from their environmental community and indigenous knowledges and knowledge and narratives have just been disregarded. We've basically appropriated their knowledge um, and it kind of she kind of explained it as if it was a system that was programmed. So I think that's really important to just emphasize and also how the climate crisis perpetuates all types of systems of oppression so sexism racism ableism i agree uh i think a lot of these facts that she presented were really shocking as you said um one of the things that shocked me the most was when she spoke about who suffers from the climate crisis um and why these people suffer the most Um, And she gave, like, she presented these facts about how in Jamaica, the average person produces about 2.6 metric tons of greenhouse gases per year. Um, And yet, people in Jamaica are at very high risk of experiencing significant impacts due to climate change. On the other hand, people in the U.S. make an average of 5,269 metric tons per capita. Nonetheless, um people in the U.S. are at very low risk of climate change-induced impacts. So this difference between people who create a huge impact on the environment versus people who create a small impact on the environment really highlights the fact that those making the strongest impact on the climate are not the ones suffering from it. So this, I had never really thought about it in that way, but it really makes sense now. And she really answered the question, who suffers the most and why? It's typically minority groups who are suffering the most. Yeah, uh, another thing that I wanted to talk about, which was really... um, interesting from Teju's talk was her focus on a word that I had never heard before and yet I had the pleasure of finding out about. Namely, she spoke about sufferation. Um, I think she explains it best in her own words. So here's an audio clip from the presentation. Focus came about, but why was I specifically interested in Black people and post-colonial populations in particular? Well, besides, uh, because I'm Black, when I was thinking about all of the issues that I was seeing on the news when I was younger that I was noticing in Jamaica, I was trying to figure out who suffers the most. And in Jamaican Patois, there's a phrase, it's called separation. Um, Rastas use it, reggae artists use it everyday people use it. And essentially what separation encompasses is the sort of lived experience of chronic suffering due to global and local economic factors. In the case of Jamaica, separation is really the lived experience of chronic poverty that most Jamaicans experience because of structural adjustment, IMF loans, World Trade Organization agreements, and how that affects the local economic opportunities that they have. So now for the second part of um, the podcast, we're going to be focusing on environmental activism, what it is, what we can do as individuals, um, environmental guilt. I think the first question that we want to address is what is environmental activism and what can we do as individuals? I think a lot of us sometimes, as Elsa said, feel very guilty because we feel powerless. We feel like the change has to come from above. It has to be institutional change. But we can do some things as individuals and make us feel better um, about the whole climate crisis. So, yeah, we'll start by discussing what we can do. 
So I think the most obvious answer to that is joining activist groups or supporting non-for-profit organizations like Greenpeace. I know that Cecilia, you often volunteer for Greenpeace, which is a really noble thing. And, you know, it's a great way to actively engage in that. But obviously right now in the middle of a pandemic, there's a lot of things that we can't do. Like we can't go to protests on the street. We can't necessarily go and physically volunteer for Greenpeace or other organizations so let's maybe talk about some of the things that you can do not physically yeah i think also i wanted to add that when it comes to non-for-profit organizations you can also support a lot of yeah ngos that are way smaller than greenpeace and this can also really impact your local community which is really important not just to you know donate to these giant big organizations but also to small ones and that's something you can do online just yeah, send a payment so you don't have to physically be there. Yeah, so as Elsa said, I think we can do some stuff through social media. I've always said that it's important to do activism offline, like, you know, spread awareness in your community, go to manifestations, protests. But as Elsa said, we're in a pandemic, so that's very difficult right now. So I think you can just follow and support small and big activists that can really educate you about these kind of like, yeah topics that are not really talked about in the mainstream environmental movement you can yeah also follow lawyers politicians who are doing active work and are actually trying to make a difference for all an equitable difference um yeah not just for the white privileged people but for everyone and you can also just post things on your on your story on instagram post things on your feed that might inspire other people to take action and yeah take part in the environmental movement Yeah, I think that that's actually a really um, good thing to do. I have a friend who the other day was asking me, like, what is environmental racism? And I just showed her some posts that I had found on Instagram about it. Cecilia is also making uh, posts about these kinds of things on her Instagram. So I don't know. It's a really easy way of informing yourself and informing others about what the situation is. Um, But I also think, and Teju also herself stressed this point in her presentation, that it's really important to give the voice to those who have been historically marginalized and to those who have really been suffering the burden of the climate crisis, because especially here in Northern Europe, we don't tend to feel the repercussions of it, but there's a lot of communities and populations across the world who are really suffering. And I think the biggest thing that we can do is give them a voice and let them speak out and let them show how they've been suffering from it and there's lots of ways of doing that you can follow them on you can follow them on instagram you can listen to their lectures on youtube you can read their books you can there's a lot of things that we can do to really give the voice exactly and also like don't feel guilty if you don't have the time if you're a university student to do all this research like yeah you know read like 30 page articles on what is environmental racism what is climate justice i learned most of the things that I learned, I took from Instagram and, as Elsa said, these small activists who have been historically marginalized. And I learned, yeah, I just learned a lot from them because they use Instagram as a platform to have a voice because, yeah, they've historically they haven't had a voice. They've just been oppressed and they haven't been given a voice. So you can, yeah, just follow them on Instagram and read what they have to say. I think another really interesting thing that um, Teju talked about was the fact that a lot of times environmental activism 
can also encompass quite a few systems of oppression or I don't know, for example, she gave the she gave the example of how when we see Extinction Rebellion protests on the street, they tend to be young white males fighting and burning things or blocking streets. But we don't tend to see enough women there. We don't tend to see enough people of color there. You know, so I think a really important thing that we have to do as young environmental activists or people who are trying to do something for the movement is to try and make it more inclusive, yeah. bring more women into it, listen to various voices, listen to different people's perspectives and situations, have more women on the streets, have more anyone on the street, you know. Mm. If you're part of a movement like Extinction Rebellion or you volunteer for Greenpeace or so or mother NGO, you can encourage those in your organization to implement measures that are more inclusive and she talked about how you can do this you can you know if people have to work all day um then you can have meetings in the evening to make sure that they can attend those meetings um as i mentioned at the start of this part sometimes we feel very guilty as individuals we feel like we have this massive responsibility to do something but at the same time we're constrained because we don't have the institutional tools to actually do something i can't just wake up one day and say hey i want to you know, impose a carbon tax on this big company. We can't just do that. So I think it's very important to talk about how to deal with this feeling of guilt when it comes to the climate crisis. I think Teju said, look, I don't feel guilty because I do everything I can. I have my small garden. I give food to people. I raise awareness on Instagram. I give this kind of, give these kinds of speeches to students. I teach students. So obviously, yeah, if you're a young person listening to this, maybe you can't do all these things. But I think it's very important to think, hey, I'm doing everything I can. This is something I deeply care about. And yeah, I'm just doing everything I can, even if it means just spreading awareness to your friends, talking to your parents about this. Um, as Elsa said, like following people on Instagram, stuff like that. You're already doing something. And remember, at the end of the day, it isn't it's not your fault. This this wasn't. Yeah, the fact that we're facing like one of the biggest crises in humanity is not your fault. It's the big companies and the government that dictated our use of resources and decided how we were going to distribute the threats of climate change and who it was going to impact. So just remember that. Yeah, and actually at the end of Teju's talk, I, I asked her like, whose responsibility is it to deal with the climate crisis? Is it really our responsibility like every single person has to reduce their consumption reduce their plastic waste stuff like this is it really just us who have to do everything or should we be demanding more of our governments and large companies um and teju said that we have to do small changes by ourselves like that's already a first step but it's also clear that not everyone has the privilege of buying at a farmer's market. So, you know, we tend to go to supermarkets and we tend to buy things wrapped in plastic and there's not much we can do to stop those consumer habits. Mm. But um, we can still try and put pressure on governments and on big companies by voting for the people who we believe are going to make an impact by supporting the people who are actively going there and fighting for it. So there's a lot of things that we can do as individuals to try and deal with the uh, with the crisis so if you go to university maybe see if you can join an extra course about uh i don't know a course about the history of environmentalism i know some people um are joining courses about how to make the universities greener something she mentioned that really stood out to me was that our individual power is restricted and sometimes we don't have much of a choice and i think that really 
I, I love that because it is so true and the way she phrased it like as Elsa said sometimes when you go to the supermarket you, you have to buy fruit and vegetables wrapped in plastic because you don't have another option so just remember that that sometimes even if you want it to do something you just don't have the choice because it's those that are, you know that are above us that are dictating how much choice we have Another thing about individual guilt is that we should also really recognize that not everyone has the luxury or the ability to make the same choices we can make. Like I am, for example, vegan, Elsa's vegetarian, but I, at first, when I first became vegan, I was like, oh, everyone has to be vegan. How can you not be vegan? You don't care about the environment. You don't care about animals. But as I've started educating myself, I've realized that veganism itself is a privilege. Not everyone can make this yeah this lifestyle change yeah not everyone has the access to um tofu or expensive vegetables or expensive beans and stuff like this like it is a it is a privileged thing to be able to do and it's not like everyone becoming a vegan all of a sudden is going to eradicate the climate crisis but it's just a way to show your activism and show your respect for nature and um yeah just show your love of nature in a personal way um and i think that if you do have the option go for it but it also shouldn't be something that should be imposed on people because at the end of the day not everyone has the same opportunities to do that and we framed it as like obviously being a vegan massively reduces your carbon footprint but as we've said not only like having access to bio and organic vegetables and tofu and tempeh and all these plant-based um foods but also people that suffer from mental illnesses or some other types of disabilities or again live in deprived communities they they this is just not a, a choice for them so we should be very mindful of of our rhetoric and the way we portray um veganism and not just make it like you know everyone should be vegan if you're not a vegan then go to hell that's not how it works because as Elsa said and again to re-emphasize it's a privilege so obviously as I said I am a vegan and I am a vegan because I can make that choice and because it's accessible to me but I don't want to impose it on anyone else violently because I know it's not an option for a lot of people um and one final thing that I think um really touched me was when Teju spoke about um, the case of Ella Adukisi Debra, pardon my pronunciation, who unfortunately died from an asthma attack caused by air pollution in her neighborhood in southeast London. Um, I think this happened a few months ago and it was everywhere in the news, uh, partly because of her tragic death and the fact that she was such a young child, but also because of the fact that it's situations like that and horrible deaths like that who that really shock the populations and shock people into realizing the situation that climate change has imposed on a lot of people. So I also thought that it was interesting from a human rights law perspective because a court ruled that Ella's death was actually 100% linked to air pollution in southeast London, which was a massive step in the direction of environmental um, rights law and environmental justice law. Um, Because like this, more and more people can start getting the justice they deserve and bring awareness to the detrimental and absolutely horrifying effects of uh, climate change Um, on our health on our communities on our fellow neighbors yeah 
Yeah. This also again emphasizes how prevalent environmental racism is. When we talk about environmental racism, most of the research I've done and most of the research that has been done um, is just talking about the US and yeah, like how deprived communities are live right near toxic waste facilities and oil refineries, but they don't talk about how this is very prevalent in Europe too. This girl died in London, so I think we should also, us living in Europe shouldn't think that this is something that is happening, you know, far away from us and it's not impacting um, BIPOC communities here too, because it, it is, and we should be really aware of that and also fight for these people in our local communities too. Um, and another thing that Teju um, spoke about, which I had never heard about, but I think was really interesting, is the idea of environmental catharsis, which is basically the idea of supporting projects that change how we live, um, such as creating gardens in the middle of New York City or um, in Nigeria, they created schools on water or um, just in general, doing little things which bring the environment closer to us and help us uh, develop our relationship with the environment in a positive way. Um, and I think this is a really good way of dealing with this decommodification, which I spoke about earlier. So recognizing nature and the environment as an, an intrinsic value in itself, something that we can live together with instead of profit off of yeah exactly the climate crisis arose because of the idea that nature is instrumental and we just have to use it to create profit we have to exploit it because nature is there for us and we're not there for it but i think it's exactly like in order to solve this we have to radically change our conceptualization of nature and just yeah acknowledge that it has an intrinsic value in itself and that we can't just exploit it for our own yeah interests and 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 profit all right, I think that was uh, the end of our uh, conversation here today. We hope that we inspired you a bit um, to become a little bit more environmentally active in even just the smallest way possible. And um, we hope that you got inspired by uh, what Teju was speaking about. We really encourage you to go follow her on Instagram, at Ms. Tej. And remember to um, follow our Instagram, which is at PPE underscore encounters, as well as the VU Radio Instagram, which is at VU Campus Radio altogether. And we just wanted to thank uh, the VU Campus Radio again for letting us use their space and for giving us the opportunity to record the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much um, for staying here and listening to what we had to say. Remember to stay tuned for our next episode. Yeah. Also, don't forget to tell us how you liked it on our Instagram. You can DM us. And also, if you want to take part in a future podcast, just DM us. And if you have any ideas for what you want us to talk about, feel oh, yeah. free to <laughs> feel free to let us know because we're always looking for new ideas. Yes. And yes, see you in our next episode.